folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch the baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, and joining me, he writes for the For the Win website on USA Today, one of my favorite NFL writers, Stephen Ruiz. What is up, Stephen? Nothing much. I just moved into a new place, and I'm, I'm trying to track all these opt-outs, and that's why you, like, you, you think you, you did all the work during the offseason to track where everyone's going, and now you've got to relearn everything, so it's, it's been kind of tough. Well, and we're going to have a game at the end of the show here where you have to guess where players who signed in free agency are playing now. So uh, we'll see how sharp you actually are. The opt-outs are, are interesting. Of course, you see with every one of them, fans getting really mad at players who could put their long-term health uh, at risk by playing in the NFL this year. But we're starting to get to the point where there's enough guys opting out. The Patriots are a good example and the Vikings with Michael Pierce where it could have a a legitimate impact. And the next couple of days, we're going to find out all the players who officially opt out. And this could have a serious effect on the season, assuming that the season goes off, Steve. Yeah, especially with the Patriots losing like 15% of their projected starters. And it seems like the last decade, the league has just gone where the Patriots have gone. They're such a central figure in the story of the league every season. So the fact that they've lost a lot of, not only big names, but some key players, like Dante Hightower is one of the key players on their defense. I think it's going to have a profound effect on the AFC at least. One of my favorite things is when people say, like, oh, this must be Belichick. Like, Belichick <laughs> must have a plan. I think you're giving him a little too much credit at that point. I don't, I don't think he went behind the scenes and said, how about you opt out so I can tank for Trevor? I don't think that really matches up with getting Cam Newton. So, um, but you're right that that will be one to watch. I still think that they win the AFC East anyway. Um, but the the reason I am having you on is two reasons. Uh, one is to talk about a, a big series that you're doing on NFL defenses now. And the other part is to find out your perspective on where the Vikings land for most interesting NFL teams. So let's start with the first part. I asked Mike Zimmer earlier this year on a Zoom call about how defenses are going to manage some of the new things that we saw last year from offenses like the San Francisco 49ers. And uh, his answer was that defenses he expects are going to have to make a lot of changes, that offense has gotten a little bit ahead, and now here comes defense. And one area that's really interesting to me, Stephen, with the Vikings, that they will have to be great this year in order to succeed, is with pressures. I get this question a lot from people. How will they mix, you know, three, four concepts with Dom Capers now in the building. Uh, but I think that Mike Zimmer is one of the best when it comes to creating new types of pressures that he hasn't used before and implementing them, especially when it comes to big situations. But why don't, why don't you start with the big picture and where the NFL has advanced from your research when it comes to pressuring your quarterback? I think one of the big things, and I talk, actually talked to uh, former Vikings coach Mike Tice for the piece. Uh, one of the things he mentioned is the, you know, the walk around fronts, the, the amoeba fronts that he can't really define 
And the, the reason why those have become so popular is because they allow the defense to dictate the protection they're going to get from the offense because the offense doesn't know where everyone's going to be. So they really have only so many options. And if you know how they're going to protect, you attack the protection and you know how to get a matchup like you can get a big, strong linebacker on a running back, and that's a matchup you're going to win most of the time. Another coach on the uh, Blitzology blog, he's a, a big guy, a big name on football Twitter, and he brought up an interesting point that I had never really considered, and that was that the fact that they play with two running backs on the field, they play with Juszczyk, who's a fullback, that kind of forces teams out of those dime looks, those hybrid looks where you have all these players that could either rush or, or drop. The success of those offenses, and the Vikings obviously had some success with that type of offense last year, I'm interested to see where it goes because I'm kind of hesitant to say, like, yeah, that's definitely going to happen because there's only so many Kyle Juszczyk. He's such, like, a unique fullback that I don't know if every team can can replicate that. And not every team has Kyle Shanahan, obviously, who's just the master of, of, of doing that. With the Vikings, they use C.J. Ham in some of the same ways, but then kind of uh, use Irv Smith in the others. The, the things that uh, Kyle Juszczyk can do all by himself, they need – two people to replicate for the Vikings, but it's the same concept is can you get three linebackers on the field for opponents? And I wonder what you think the solution for that is, because I, I asked Zimmer last year when we were allowed to be near coaches, that was a time. Um, so I asked him last year, I said, would you ever consider because play action is so successful? And this is what I want to ask you about is pressuring play action. Uh, play action is so successful. Would you ever consider just having your linebackers drop back? and not even worry about plugging those gaps right away um, because a lot of teams are using play action 35, 40% of the time now. And his answer was no, no, I would not. Like they have to get in their gaps <laughs> because otherwise you're going to get shredded like the Packers did by the run game. But something has to break here, Steven. Every team can't just be running around doing play action all the time and hitting these big plays where the linebackers shoot up, right? Right. I think you almost have to look at how college defenses are defending RPO, where they have those players where they're like, you're 66% pass and 33% run. Like, you're telling them you're a pass-first player. I mean, you have to defend the run, but make sure it's not a pass-first. I think that's where the NFL has to go. And I think it eventually will, just because younger coaches came up defending the RPO, so they're going to have that on, like, on the forefront of their minds. Obviously, Mike Zimmer, when he was cutting his teeth as a coach, he didn't have to deal with those type of things. So he's still of that old-school mentality where we got to stop the run first, which, I mean, it's worked for him. You can't say, like, oh, he's – He's not doing it the right way. Like, he's done it the right way for decades now. And there's a domino effect to being able to stop the run, and this is why losing Michael Pierce is pretty important for them because if teams still run 45% of the time on first down, if you could stop them, you're putting them in second and long, that allows you to dial up more pressures. And it seems like Zimmer's whole thing is how can we get opposing teams to third down and long. Even if they do complete some passes on the way, if we get them in the third down and long, we're probably going to uh, stop them at that point. And if you think about, even if a team completes a couple of passes in a row, a run is coming. It's almost like just human nature that eventually, even if they get a couple of first downs, they will run on first down and you will be able to stop them. And I thought the Vikings did a, a good job of that last year of that bending and not breaking because they were doing that a lot. Uh, I'm curious about your opinion. You mentioned um, guys standing up and walking around and the Vikings saw this against the Patriots a couple of years ago where they lined up basically no one was, was down and uh, in passing situations and it really flustered Kirk Cousins. The three-four element of bringing in Dom Capers. Now I know that no one really runs three-four anymore. Exactly with four linebackers, they don't have four linebackers who can play anymore. Um, but having three-man fronts, like if we see that more from the Vikings this year, what can they do with that to add to the repertoire of Mike Zimmer and what he already has been able to do over the last few years? I think you just have to look at the, the Ravens, and this is a team that I wrote about in the series where they used a lot of three-man fronts. They were using bare fronts where you, you cover the guards and the tackle. And like I said earlier, what that does is it gives the, the offense limited options for protections. Like you're only going to get and, – and some uh, – if you read the articles, you'll know what these terms mean. But, like, you're, you're only going to get full slide where you have the whole line sliding to one direction. Then you have a running back or tight end protecting the edge. And – that's what the Ravens did. That's how they got Matthew Judon these great matchups where he had this breakout season where he wasn't really like, 
no one looks at Judon and is like, he's a dominant edge rusher who's just going to, who can beat anyone at front. No, the Ravens and Don uh, Martindale, the defensive coordinator, he got in these fronts so he could dictate the protections. The best way to do that is actually playing a three-man line because you put a guy on the nose, you put a, a defensive end in that B gap, and that really gives the offense trouble because the, the most common protection in the NFL is a half slide, but you can't really do that when you have a guy in the B gap because it's, it just messes up the blocking angles. Like you're putting your guard or your tackle in, in a bad spot. And I think it's going to make Mike Zimmer's pack, uh, pressure packages even more effective. He's going to know what he's getting from the, the offense in terms of protection, and he's going to know how to attack that. He's seen every every type of protection there is. So this is uh, interesting to me is just how they're going to manufacture players who can't do it on their own success. So with Everson Griffin – Line him up against a tackle. He will beat that tackle seven to ten times a game. He'll get pressures. He'll be disruptive. He'll force, like you said, slide protections, which allowed Daniil Hunter to have favorable matchups. There are so many times, so many tweets I have probably somewhere that say, why is a tight end blocking Daniil Hunter? Well, that's probably part of the reason is because everyone's terrified of Everson Griffin. Now this year, they have to manufacture some success with these younger players they're going to bring in. Afadi Adenabo is not going to beat tackles in the same way that Everson Griffin was able to, where you just line them up and you're all set for the day. Um, I guess how – when it, this, this kind of ties into, like, who you pay also and how much money you right. give to guys who get sacks. Because even with uh, the Patriots, they've let pass rushers go in the past. Someone else gives them a buttload of money and then ends up disappointed with what they got. So I, I guess I wonder, like, is that is that a thing that should now be really considered, is that pressures might not mean your guy, if he gets 10 sacks, that he is a dominant superstar. It might be more product of the system. Yeah, and that's one of the, the major theses of the, the series I wrote. It's that, like, if you don't have one of those guys, you don't have a, a Von Miller, a Nick Bosa, then you need to be getting creative. You can't just be sending four-man rushes or even, like, traditional fire zone blitzes where you're just sending five and playing three deep, three under. Like, you have to get more creative than that. And the numbers actually show the more aggressive you get, the more n- number of pass rushers you, you send, the better you play, like, by EPA. It's it's linear, too. Like, if you add a sixth rusher, you do better. If you add a sixth rusher, you do better. It doesn't really matter how many uh, blockers the offense keeps in. But I – you know, I've kind of gone back and forth about this, about paying elite edge rushers. In, in one way, I see why you would pay them because, like I mentioned earlier, you have to have these hybrid guys on the field to, in order to get into this more exotic and creative pressure packages. But if you have a guy on the edge like Nick Bosa, you could just play base defense. You're not, you're not making your coverage unsound in the back end. A big thing with the Packers, and they actually had two elite edge rushers, in that NFC Championship game, they played a lot of dime. And that's how the 49ers took advantage of them because – Mike Pettin is one of these guys that does a lot of these amoeba fronts and walk around stuff and created creative pressures. He does creeper pressures and, and simulated pressures. So I think that's the, the main thing. Like you can't live in that type of defense and go against a team like the 49ers who can make you pay for it. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first have to tell you about something very cool from our friends at Soda Stick. You probably know them for Minnesota sports-inspired hats and shirts and hoodies that are screen-printed in Minnesota, but Soda Stick also has artwork as well. You're going to want to check out their Man Cave prints, 20 by 24 prints representing everything Minnesota sports, from awesome throwback logos to legendary plays at first base to famous disgusting acts in Green Bay. They are on sale now for just $35. You can't go out to games at the moment, but you can liven up where you're watching them from. You want to get Soda Stick's very cool prints. Go to SodaStick.com. That's S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. With Zimmer, the way that he has handled his personnel is to have nickel all the time. And then occasionally base when the other team brings in their Kyle Juszczyk or a couple of tight ends. And the third linebacker, at least last year, was Eric Wilson, who can also cover, which not many teams have a third linebacker who can cover. But I find it to be uh, really effective if you have the right personnel to stay in nickel all the time because it's best of both worlds. But you can only do that if you have Eric Kendricks. 
And Anthony Barr, I think, is better in coverage than some people think he is because of that wingspan. And we like to look at target numbers. You know, he was targeted X number of times, but those don't always tell the whole story of how good you were in coverage for a linebacker because those guys are always playing in zones. Um, So it isn't Mm -hmm. just like you're guarding a tight end one-on-one. It's oftentimes this is your area. And if they get a completion into your area, it's going to be blamed on you, but it might not be your fault. Anyhow, the Kendricks element of it, I think allows them to do so many things out of the nickel because he can cover almost anybody on the field outside of, you know, Julio Jones or something. And then being able to move your safeties in any way you want to, I think it allows for Zimmer to be extremely creative or not at all. And just like you said, play, play his base defense and have players that are flexible enough um, to make life difficult on any team that they play. Yeah, I think any discussion of scheme and, like, what teams should be doing starts with personnel. Like, a team like the the Seahawks got a lot of criticism last year because they played so much base. But at the end of the year, you looked at their numbers, and they were so much better in base than they were in nickel. And that's because they got their best players on the field. Their best players were their their three linebackers, and they had had no talent at the nickel spot. Another conclusion I drew in in the series at the end, it was just, you know, all of this creative stuff is great if you have the dudes, you don't need to do it. And it's foolish to do it. Uh, when Derek Thomas was being inducted into the Hall of Fame, Carl Peterson, Chiefs GM, did, uh, was doing a speech. And he brought up a story about how Bill Cowher, he was the defensive coordinator for Marty Schottenheimer at the time. He came Schottenheimer after Derek Thomas's rookie year. and was like, I got this great new scheme. We're going to... Uh, we're going to line Derek Thomas up in his traditional spot as a right outside linebacker, but we're going to drop him and then bring some other guy from the other side because he's going to be a decoy. They're going to slide. The line's going to slide one way. We're going to bring guys from the other way. And then Marty Schottenheimer just basically looked at him and was like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You have your best <laughs> pass rusher, one of the best pass rushers in the league, drop uh, running away from the quarterback. No, if you have those dudes, just send them. And that allows you to, allows you to do so much more on the back end. Something very similar in Kevin Green's uh, A Football Life documentary where at the end of his time with the Los Angeles Rams that they had asked him to play more of a traditional linebacker role as opposed to just running after the quarterback. And as you know, Kevin Green is one of the great sack artists in the history of the game. What were you thinking, Los Angeles Rams, when you decided to do that? And that's another area where uh, when people ask well, why is Zimmer's defense so good? I think maximizing the personnel and using Anthony Barr the way that they use him is right. Even though maybe he could blitz him a little bit more or maybe you could do this or that with him. Uh, but I think having him in this role where he could do just about anything on any play is probably the, the right way to do it. And you also look, Stephen, at the Seeing Ghosts game uh, with Sam Darnold, which I want to hear you explain what was going on there because it's it just became sort of an uh, a famous moment of the 2019 NFL season of this young quarterback playing against the Patriots looking completely lost um, and ESPN catching a little too much or a little more than the Jets would have preferred of the quarterback talking so so what happened there how do you get Sam Darnold to see ghosts it was actually his offensive lineman they were trying to block ghosts what the Patriots would do is they would put six men on the line of scrimmage, and they would they usually did this when the Jets were they only they only had five blockers. They put six guys in each of those gaps, and then the two guys lined up over the guard. They would read which way the guard turned in protection. If he turned to the left, the guy lined up to the opposite side would come, and then the guy he turned to would drop into a little like hot area, like where where the quarterback would throw if he was throwing hot against a blitz. And then, so it didn't matter how the Jets were protecting it. No matter what they did, the, the Patriots were getting a free rusher every time. I break it down more elaborately in the, in the, in the post, but it's basically like there's nothing they could do. The, it was like the equivalent of playing Madden. And you know those, like, uh, what are they called, micro blitzes? Like you go up on YouTube and people that, that cheese and Madden online, that's what they do. Like it was a cheat code. Like the, no matter what the Jets did, they were – giving up a free rusher like the the obvious solution though was to come out of empty but Adam Gaze is Adam Gaze and he never came to that conclusion until it was too late and Sam Darnold had already been embarrassed on national tv I do not appreciate the suggestion that Adam Gase could not be a good coach. That has never been made on this show ever. (laughs) Actually, I said, I think the first day of his press conference, like, why don't you just fire him now and just move on to somebody else? (laughs) Because this is not going to go very well. I can already tell. 
Um, so that that's fascinating. And isn't it funny, Stephen, that some of the guys who are old in the NFL, Zimmer, Belichick, Andy Reid, they just stay a step ahead. Like everybody wants the young guy who looks like McVay, and I get that McVay is very, very good, but let's, let's get the young, innovative guy or whatever. And yet here's Belichick always finding something new. Here's Zimmer adapting over his time. And I, and I just think that if you are going to have longevity in the NFL, that's what gets rewarded. And I'll also tie it into Zimmer's contract extension is if you hire someone else and you move on from Mike Zimmer, you don't know if the next person is going to sustain that innovation or be like a Chip Kelly that lasts one year and, and that's it. And I think that that ultimately, as long as this game exists, and I love it about football, will be what wins is who can stay ahead of the game. Yeah, and my theory on that is that the bar is so high for defensive guys to become head coaches. Like Zimmer had to wait so long that they really have to like earn their stripes and they have to go through these different eras of football and prove that they can adapt. Otherwise they wouldn't be getting these opportunities. Like Belichick has obviously proven he can adapt to, to any era of football. I think you have to say the same thing about Zimmer. He's been so successful for so long. And I mean, the offensive guys, you have one or two good years and you're just thrust into the head coaching position. I think that's why you see defensive coaches, like the best ones, skew a little older just because they, they've had to earn their stripes and they've seen more. They've seen everything you can throw at them. This is probably a reason Zimmer is always salty about young offensive coaches who get head coaching <laughs> jobs. I think he was very upset to lose to Matt LaFleur twice last year based on his handshake at the end of the game. Uh, before I ask you about the most interesting teams in the NFL from your national perspective, uh, where can people read this series? Because I am very excited about it. Uh, you can find it at ftw.usatoday.com. And I'll, I'll also be tweeting it out. I'm at the Stephen Ruiz. Not uh, as in Stephen Ridley, which is spelled with an A. Stevie. <laughs> um, yeah, no. Just it's all ease. As a side note, the Vikings signed Stephen Ridley for three days after Adrian Peterson got hurt in uh, 2016. And so everyone was like, Oh, Stephen Ridley, man, he's going to replace Peterson, and he's just going to come in here, and he's a veteran guy. He'll know what to do. And they cut him three days later before he even played a game. So all of us had to get our fingers right to put in S-T-E-V-A-N, and uh, then <laughs> it didn't matter at all. We all wrote, how's Stephen Ridley going to fit in the Vikings offense? Like a bunch of lemmings, and then just, you know, he's just cut. So that's those are my favorite signings when they like when they a team signs a player and everyone gets all hyped and they get cut. Demarius Thomas, I think that happened with him in the Patriots a couple. Maybe it was last year, but everyone was so hyped about that receiving core, and then he wasn't even on the team. Uh, this could be PJ Hall for us, by the way. You know, just writing. Where does PJ Hall fit in? Is he taking the nose tackle position? Uh, and uh, you know, he might just get cut. I don't know. Uh, so when you look at just the NFL at large, and let's just pretend because it's more fun that way that we're playing football and there's going to be 16 games. No one's getting sick, and it will be wonderful as it always is. Um, do you have, if, you, if I were to ask you to rank the five most interesting teams, let's just say in the NFC, because that's what we focus on, are the Vikings in there for you? And my feelings won't be hurt if you say no. Um, but I think that they should be because they can potentially win the NFC North, but also potentially have a very tough season with all the changes that they underwent after this year. Yeah, I'm looking at the list of teams right now. I think for me personally, and this is just, my own interest is I think the Cardinals are the most interesting team just to see what Cliff Kingsbury and Fowler Murray do in year two. I forgot about the Bucks. The Bucks are obviously up there with Tom Brady. Vikings are definitely in the top, especially with what's going on now. They, they moved on from Stephon Diggs and you kind of, I, don't, I wouldn't say your offensive brunt is more on Kirk Cousins, but that's where the attention is going to go after he lost his star receiver and like, there's kind of been this national storyline where he's 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 had these two great receivers. Maybe that's kind of inflated his numbers. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of attention on Cousins, and then he just signed this extension. So I, I think it's always it's always interesting when Kirk Cousins is, is involved. It's been that way for what like six years now. Whenever he started playing the franchise tag game with the Redskins, and then you just I think Mike Zimmer's defense is always interesting from a schematic perspective and that's how I usually look at the game like just from X's and O's how he's going to adjust his defense this year and I, I feel like the rest of the NFC is kind of boring 
don't know if you share the same sentiment. Like, the NFC East, I'm just, like, over it. Yes, I do with the NFC East, aside from, I'll admit, of being very interested with the Cowboys to see how Dak plays with Mm -hmm. the pressure of the franchise tag and just with all the weapons, my gosh. Uh, I am fascinated to see what Washington names their football team. Does that make you interested? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But on the Kirk Cousins point, it's you say that. It's funny you say that because I started another podcast the other day saying that I'm not sure Kirk Cousins is interesting anymore. Like, I think that last year kind of fizzled out all the, well, can he actually win a playoff game? Can he Mm -hmm. actually, you know, I don't know, take a snap correctly on Monday night football or whatever. (laughs) You know, I mean, just it was last year was so over the top. Every bad game that he had was just this explosion of national media rage against Kirk Cousins. And then when he was good, it went the other way with, oh, he's, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in the league and he'll be an MVP this year. And I think that we have a big enough sample now that we just, we know the parameters of Kirk Cousins. We know what he's capable of and we know what you need as a team for him to succeed. And where it's interesting to me for this year is just, do you have the team to make it happen? Because a lot of the commodities on the offense are now unproven, unlike if you had Diggs and Thielen coming in again. Right. That's why I think the conversation is going to be re-sparked. No matter what happens, I think you're going to get just one of the extremes. You're going to get those. You're going to hear those people. If he struggles, you're going to hear people say, oh, look, see, he's just a product of what's around him. If, and if he plays well, you're, people are going to go the other way and say, see, he's been this franchise quarterback this whole time. Kind of like in the same boat as Dak is just a different part of his career where, like, no matter what numbers he puts on, there's always going to be people that question him. Yeah. That's Dak – I mean, it makes more sense with Cousins just because he wasn't so good in Washington, like at the beginning, and he's, you know he's had these failures on big stages where Dak doesn't really have any of those, and he's like he's had like stretches of bad play, but been a good quarterback. So I don't really get it at all with Dak because we're usually so quick to anoint the next young quarterback, but we have been hesitant to do it with Dak. I don't think the point I'm making is I don't think Cousins is ever going to get out of that cycle. One bad stretch, and we're right back to, is Cousins really worth his money? Is he really a franchise quarterback? Okay, I can see it. I th- that's a compelling case. I think from someone like myself, or if you're a Vikings fan, and you've sort of ridden the roller coaster of these first two years in Minnesota, and then based on what he did in Washington, you've sort of just, um, it would be like, it would be like, let's use a literal roller coaster. If the first time you go on an insane roller coaster, you have no idea what's coming, and that first drop is like your, you know, whatever, your stomach is in your throat. But then the second or third time you've ridden the roller coaster, you're like, whoop, here we go, wee, all right, I'm doing it again. <laughs> like, I think that that's what we're in for with Cousins, where you're like, oh, he uh, threw 40 passes for 130 yards against the Packers and was sacked six times, like, that was bound to happen. Or he threw for 380 yards and completed 90% of his passes against a really bad team. That was bound to happen. Like I, I, it might be a different perspective, but what is a good point I think that you make is that uh, on the national level, it always is a good debate topic. And maybe it is because these guys are just flawed enough for anybody who doesn't want to like them to say, see, Look at all those flaws, and they're just good enough for anybody. You know, it's like the perfect Skip Bayless topic is, mm-hmm. is Kirk Cousins good at football? Yeah, it's one of those things you can just go to every week, no matter how he performs. Like, the only way you can is if he has like, an average game against, like, the Lions, then you're just like, ah, oh, we can't talk about this. But it's, it's like that Jordan-LeBron debate. Like, first take, put that on any day of the week, and they're going to, you know, have some discussion that people are going to yell at each other about online. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. So one more question here about just interesting NFC teams. I'm just going to throw a few names out there and you tell me like if, uh, if you think any of these are interesting, I mean, Seattle, I think is uh, because of what they just did with Jamal Adams, 49ers probably bound for some regression. The lions, we can't figure out on this podcast if they're actually a threat or not. And the Eagles, I am in a very bleh spot with the Eagles. Any Mm -hmm. of those jump out to you? Oh, uh, yeah, the Seahawks. The Jamal Adams thing definitely makes them interesting. I'm just – I just want to see what Pete Carroll does with them. He's kind of been known for having this one defensive philosophy since he's taken over that team and, like, built them into the Legion of Boom. And I don't know if you're going to get the most out of Adams just playing that way again. So we're going to have to see some type of schematic evolution to get the most out of him. 
And I want to see if Carroll is able to do that. I'm kind of skeptical just because we have seen them, how stubborn they are on the other side of the ball where they're not letting Russell Wilson throw the ball more. And that's always – like Seahawks Twitter is always an interesting thing to, to dive into. <laughs> so I, I Like Seattle just doesn't play any normal football games. So I think they're always going to be, you know, a team that's worth watching. That's and then great. the 49ers – 49ers, I'd say the same thing. Like, I, I want to see what Jimmy Garoppolo, I think he might become Kirk Cousins. Yeah, I think that that's very possible. Um, if they sort of regress, as most teams that go to the Super Bowl do, even the Patriots usually regress after going to the Super Bowl, um, it wouldn't be surprising if we look at him that way. I still have him a tick better than Kirk Cousins uh, because of the quickness of his release. But he also throws really random and weird interceptions sometimes in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Uh, all right, before we wrap up, I'm going to give you five players who were free agents uh, that signed in different places, and I want to see if you know where they play. And if you go five for five, I will send you $10 on Venmo if you go five for I'm, five. I'm going to be exposed as a fraud. <laughs> all right, let's do this. Let's no, do this I think, me. like, this is this is where I, I didn't go too deep in the rabbit hole. Like, you've heard of these players. But, like, this okay. happens to me every year. And now we don't have preseason games. So week one, I'm going to be like, huh? That guy is where? Okay. So I want to start off with Case Keenum. Do you know what team Case Keenum plays for? Mm. I have no idea. <laughs> well, I'm glad I won't have to send you $10. Uh, <laughs> so I'll give you one hint, and then we can move on. Or I'll give you the answer. Um, there's a, a pretty obvious connection with the team that he signed with. I'm still not getting it. I don't know. I have no idea. I should know this. His uh, quarterback's coach from Minnesota was Kevin Stefanski, and now he is with Kevin Stefanski and the Cleveland Browns. Oh. oh okay, I feel like I, I threw in an easy one on purpose. Melvin Gordon. Okay, the Broncos. Okay. I, that that, that, I just give you one that uh, was notable. Brashad Perriman. He was somebody that we talked about for the Vikings for some kind of, like, deep threat. He ended up with whom? He ended up with our friend Adam Gase. Yes, that's right, the New York Jets. Uh, This guy, on certain websites, anytime you look him up, he's, uh, instead of being called Rick, he's called Ricky. Ricky Wagner, where does Ricky Wagner, the tackle, former Lions tackle, where does he play? Oof. And former Baltimore Uh, tackle. Had one good year, and then the Lions paid him a lot of money. Daniil Hunter got 11 billion sacks against him, and they decided to move on. But he still is going to have to play. For some reason. Daniil Hunter. Oh, okay. Did he end up in – no, not them. The Bears? The uh, Green Bay Packers is where Rick Wagner ended up. And a celebration Damn. was held by the Hunter family. <laughs> they had they had a Zoom party to celebrate Rick Wagner still playing in the division. <laughs> uh, last one, another guy that we talked about for potentially joining the Vikings because of a Zimmer connection, Jonathan Joseph, which is spelled – if you could spell Jonathan Joseph, you get extra points on this. Uh, he played for the Texas Lab. Why do I want to say the Chiefs? Even though I don't think that's right. It's not. Uh, he now plays for, I'm just going to go with them. He now plays for the Titans. And if you try to spell Jonathan Joseph, H-N-A-T-H-A-N, which in several times writing it, I have botched horribly. So. Oh, he's one of those guys. Yeah. He's one of those guys. There was a baseball player and, and who was one of those guys. I don't remember who it was. But, yeah, those those guys needed – they should just change their names. Like, when you're eight years old, just be like, what am I doing here? I'm going to spell my name right. I think there was a baseball player who it was J-O-N-H. Oh, that's you're what, like, that's what it was. I don't think that's your name. I don't want to be like that person, but <laughs> just guessing somebody made a mistake there. Um, so, anyway, all right. Well, you did terribly, but this was fun. <laughs> And we'll have to do it again sometime. Steven, uh, your X's and O's analysis is much better than random free agents. So I think that that's okay. I appreciate that. Uh, I implore people to follow you on Twitter, to follow your work, uh, because you do awesome stuff. And I think I said, I don't know if I said this on or off the air, but you do the type of work that I want to read. And that is a big compliment to you. So great to connect with you, man. And uh, we'll do it again. Yep. Thank you. Anytime. 
We'll get back to the conversation in just a second, but have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and then goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that the auction clock restarts every 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, Deal Dash is offering up our listeners 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code INSIDER, DealDash.com, Dot FM slash insider that is D E A L D A S H dot FM slash insider. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock style. Earl, Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass game jerseys. The good old fashioned gut was probably the biggest difference in the game. All right, it is time for some more hot routes. Intern Paul is here to participate in the hot routes. How are you, Intern Paul? Doing great. Just, you know, like everyone else, we started with everything, but we're just hoping. Just just hoping and, and keeping our fingers crossed that we can get training camp going and we can see a season. So that's where I'm at. Mike Zimmer said that he is cautiously optimistic, and when you go through all the things the NFL is trying to do just in its facilities, it's like if anybody can make this work, I think it's them. And I also think that football players are more apt to stay in line with the guidelines laid out by their coaches than baseball players might be because of money. Because if you are the idiot who goes to a casino, then you might just get cut and lose all of your money for being an idiot. And we have seen in the past that stupid things done off the field, <clears throat> Jaron Curse, can impact how Mike Zimmer and the Vikings feel about you on the field. So something to keep in mind for all of the Minnesota Vikings players this year. I also think, can you travel eight times? Can you just do it eight times? without everyone getting COVID, and uh, I'm getting more hopeful as we get there, Paul. But you have put together five hot route questions to ask, so begin. All right, well, we'll stick with the head coaches in the NFL because another thing I heard Zimmer say was if someone wants to opt out, he's, he completely under, understands that. So another coach and another team that has had a lot of guys opt out is the Patriots at this point. This one's kind of a joke, but at the same time, if eight of them have dropped out, that's most in the league. Belichick's obviously voiced his support for it. And whenever the Patriots do anything, you're always wondering, is there a plan in the background that we don't know about? Is he five steps ahead of us? So is he tanking for Trevor is my question. If he had not signed Cam Newton, then I would have said yes, that he <laughs> is tanking for Trevor and that he has encouraged players, why don't you just take this year off, come back when we're competitive again, it'll be wonderful in 2021. But I also think that when we have something like this, it's great to talk about how is it going to impact the linebacker situation without Dante Hightower or what's going to happen if Patrick Chung isn't there. And the reality is that Bill Belichick probably knows most players are replaceable. We look at by the end of a season, the Vikings were the rare exception last year to not have injuries. But by the end of the season, you're usually playing with four, five, six backups anyway. And what ultimately determines whether you can go deep in the playoffs or have a good season or win your division is not often one safety or one linebacker. Now, if you lose a whole defense, maybe, but I think Belichick understands that he could probably replace these guys, especially older players. Hightower was amazing in the Super Bowl two years ago. Is he still that effective? Probably not. Patrick Chung, the same thing. He's been around for a long time. How effective is he really as compared to the next man up that Belichick wants to be in that spot? So that would be my guess is that they still look at the AFC East and say, is Josh Allen good? They have Stephon Diggs, but eh, not so sold on that. Is Miami going to take a huge step forward this year to be a legit contender? Probably not. And the Jets, they remain 
the Jets, still coached by Adam Gase. So I look at it as they have had a lot of players opt out, but at the end of the day, it probably won't make that much of a difference. And Belichick might be playing a little 3D chess if he's looked at the free agent market too, because there are a lot still of very good and proven NFL players on the free agent market that you could easily replace some of these positions with. And to that point, I think even if a bunch of their guys opted out, it's still Bill Belichick. It's still that team. And I don't think they'd be able, kind of like the Dolphins were, seemed like they were trying to tank, but they almost won too many games to get to, a, to, to his hip injury was the only reason he fell that far. So a Bill Belichick coach team, I just don't think would ever get to that point. And I think he probably, the cliche wants to prove something now that Brady's gone and he wants to show he can do something. And this just fits that narrative even more if they have more guys that are gone and he continues to do well. Now the question for me is, should they have decided to tank for Trevor? I mean, considering the circumstances, how weird it is, you had the perfect quarterback in place, Jared Stidham. I'm pretty sure that he wasn't going to raise your level that much of how many wins your team is worth. Um, Maybe that should have been something that they considered was, tanking for Trevor, trying to get that top pick, and then going forward with your next franchise quarterback. But considering Belichick's age, you've got to respect getting Cam and just taking another shot at it. Like maybe you don't look at it if you're Belichick as, well, I've got the next 10 years, so we could just tank and go forward like that. But maybe wouldn't have been the worst idea. I think that probably now we're looking at the Jaguars as the favorites for Trevor. (laughs) Sure. Um, So in a normal offseason, the NFL's first preseason game, would have been Thursday, so kind of in lieu of that. At this point, we would have had some training camp under our belt, and we definitely would have already had an irrational obsession with some player at this point, whether it's a Kyle Sloter, a Jordan Taylor of last year. So at this point, if you were going to predict who we already would have been penciling in as the number three wide receiver or a starting defensive end, even though we haven't seen anything, who would it have been? I think that the answer for me is Cam Dantzler based on just how many questions I get about Cam Dantzler, that there already is an irrational obsession with Cam Dantzler. And and I think that he was a great draft pick and he has a chance to become an NFL starter out of the third round that you don't usually see, but he drops because of a bad combine. At the same time, the breaks, I already want to pump them, even though we do not have the irrational preseason performances because you are talking about a guy that is a 30th percentile athlete. And if you compare that to the other corners that the Vikings have had in the past, Jeff Gladney is about a 50th percentile, which means he's an average NFL athlete for the position. But if you were talking about guys like Trey Wayans, Xavier Rhodes, they're more in the 80th to 90th percentile type of athletes. And when you look at the stars at corner throughout the league, aside from someone like Richard Sherman, who is an extreme example Usually they're in that range of 70th to 100th or 99th percent uh, athlete. And I mean by their size, their speed, their quickness, their length, their jumping ability. Uh, There's a website called Relative Athletic Scores that puts all those things into a formula to figure out your total athleticism. And Dantzler is along with a lot of guys that usually don't succeed. So I would have probably been saying, look, I like a lot of things about how he was on tape and he played extremely well in the SEC. But this is going to need some development time before we name him the next Richard Sherman. Yeah, my my thoughts immediately went to the D-line, especially with Michael Pierce gone, no Everson Griffin. If if we get one video of DJ Wanham swooping around the outside with all of his athleticism, maybe there's that. Or James Lynch with as much production as he had uh, in his college career. If we see some snaps where he's doing some really good things, I could see that. And then also, I think we just all love any sort of chance to talk about quarterbacks even if it's a backup quarterback and the Vikings fandom community doesn't really seem to like Sean Mannion that much I think they don't always get how much he might do behind the scenes so Jake Browning versus Nate Stanley I think everyone likes to see (laughs) any sort of quarterback reps that was my only other uh, option yeah, I totally agree that preseason just always opens the door for that number three and number four quarterback. Um, the McLeod Bethel Thompson is another one that is in the lore of Vikings land. Taylor Heineke was somebody that the, you know, some Vikings fans really loved. And then you mentioned uh, Kyle Sloter, which was completely out of control last preseason for the number of people. Uh, obsessed with his late fourth quarter performances. Um, But this year we won't have any of that. And I would just say in defense of Sean Mannion, it's not just that he is 
helpful to you know, preparing the defense on a weekly basis and helping Kirk Cousins, but also they need to have somebody they're sure knows the offense and can execute it and can get everyone lined up properly to run what is required in the NFL. It's very complicated at the quarterback position, and most people can't get it. So, yeah, you'd probably prefer that you had a backup quarterback that was more along the lines of what Case Keenum was, somebody that you knew could step in on a very good team and succeed. We don't know that about Sean Mannion because that opportunity has never come. But at very least, Gary Kubiak can trust that the guy is going to execute the play that's called and line up everybody the right way that he's supposed to and be able to read a defense and so forth, give you a chance to win two out of four games if your starting quarterback is out. That's all you're really looking for. Definitely, and one other came, one other name came to mind that I would be remiss if I didn't say was John David Booty. I remember when oh, I was a yeah. kid. Yep, that was a big oh, one. Maybe maybe he'll make make his way. He was drafted in the fifth round, so always always looking at those backup quarterbacks to maybe do something. What is John uh-huh. David Booty doing today? I don't know. There, I I don't know. I just p- pulled up his Wikipedia after the Vikings. He went to the Titans and the Texans, but has not been seen since 2010. So just disappeared. We'll put- We'll put out that John David Booty bat signal to try to figure out where he is. Someone's got to know where he is at. Find JDB. (laughs) Shirt. Yep. All right. Soda Sticks next shirt. Um, Moving on to the next question. Um, So, as of on Monday, we're taping this on Monday. uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has gone full ballers mode, his own character in ballers, now in real life, has bought half the XFL. So that made me think, well, that one's pretty cool. So if there was going to be a dream situation, well, not because we like the Wolves, but if there was a dream situation, who could be the Vikings owner? Who would you pick if they were going to sell? Yeah, you can't do a whole lot better than the Wilfs in terms of an NFL ownership that is going to get a huge stadium built, a gigantic practice facility built that is going to lay down the amount of dollars they had. One thing you could never say for them is that they've been cheap. If the Vikings want to bring in a new coach, that sure, you can have your new coach. If they want to sign Anthony Barr to a contract that's worth more than a linebacker should get these days, then go ahead. Here's the cash for it. And that's one of the reasons why Rob Brzezinski is able to do what he's able to do with the salary cap is because the cash is always coming from the Wilfs. But were they to sell? Now, what we see in sports these days is lots of mega ownerships where you have a bunch of different people involved in owning a team. So take like the Los Angeles Dodgers. Magic Johnson doesn't own the Dodgers. He doesn't have enough money to buy the Dodgers. So he's like 100 mil in or whatever it is, 50 mil in, and he's an owner of the Dodgers. Well, I would say Randy Moss owning the Minnesota Vikings would be perfect if he was the face of the entire organization as he has been essentially since the purple people leaders defensive line if you were going to say one player was the face of the entire minnesota vikings franchise it is absolutely randy moss the press conferences would be incredible uh randy moss talking to the media about owning the team would be amazing and you know that uh he would want to do everything he possibly could to win because, uh, you know, he's a great competitor. So I think Randy Moss would be the most fun scenario of any possible owner of the Minnesota Vikings. I definitely like yours, and the connection it has to the Vikings is not something I had with mine. Mine was more for the laughter and more for the potential just fun of it. I would like uh, Stephen A. Smith and Skip Bayless to <laughs> up once more. Everyone's been hoping for a reunion. They can re- reunite and form their perfect NFL team again, they'd be that Magic Johnson situation. But same reason as you, the press conferences would be unbelievable. The internal drama within the team would be unbelievable as a reporter. That would be great. Um, so, yeah, that that was my pick. I love it. I think that's a great pick. And uh, there are a lot of people who come on this podcast, if we were talking about media people, who would run the Minnesota Vikings really well, just from a perspective of winning. But that's not really what you and I were going for. Like Moss, Moss would probably be good at it. Maybe he would want too many tall wide receivers or something. I don't know. But um, if, if you're talking about the media people you would pick that would be the funniest, those two are definitely at the top of the list. <laughs> All right, moving on to question four. Spielman just got his contract extension. You were just on the press call before we were on this. And – I wanted to get your thoughts about where he ranks in your eyes among GMs in the league, because I feel like 
nationally. He's got a pretty good reputation for his drafts, for putting together teams. But I think in any scenario, the local fans, they just, they're looking at every single move. He's had some questionable draft picks, even in those great classes, some interesting free agent moves. So I want to know, is he a top 10 GM? Is he higher than that? Is he lower than that? Where do you have him? We'll get back to football in just a second, but first, sports are coming back. So are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball finally kicking off, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, features, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. So with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time champion Robert Ori. See what they had to say and what it's like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all of your odds and up-to-date sports news. And remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert. Well, I think one thing is every team's fans believes that their general manager is not good enough, except for Kansas City today. I mean, that that's just always how it goes. Because when you focus on every single draft pick, every single move, you can go back and be like, Ben Gideon in the fourth? What were you thinking? Like, which, true, yeah, I'm not sure why you pick a run-stuffing linebacker in the fourth, but is it, you know, is that really what we should be judging an entire front office on? That's how I look at it is not just Rick Spielman, but it's the entire Vikings front office is one of the best of the best in the NFL. And you think about what they've gone through at the quarterback position to be as competitive as they have been under Mike Zimmer. It speaks to all the talent that they've built. And yes, we always look at the first round picks and go, Laquan Treadwell, bust. But think about all of the other players that they have discovered or that they have developed through, you know, scouting this guy or that guy, bringing in an Anthony Harris, and then he develops into a starting Pro Bowl caliber player. Or, you know, Adam Thielen kind of falls in their lap. But there are numerous guys like that, even Stephon Diggs, a fifth round draft pick. So these late round picks who have developed into really significant players on this team. There are a lot of those, and I think that that's one way we can look at they seem to know how to spot them and how to keep them. But another part of it, too, is just the salary cap and the way that they've managed it during Kirk Cousins being here. I mean, it's very, very difficult to keep a lot of your talent, if not all of your talent, when your quarterback is making huge dollars, and yet they've found a way to work it out. They've found a way to keep their talented people. That speaks to Rob Brzezinski, their cap guy. But the entire front office, from the scouting to the cap guy to the general manager, I think the general manager kind of he's gathering all the information, and then they do something. So he's getting it from the analytics department. He's getting it from the scouting department. He's getting it from his cap guy. And then they make a move. So we pin it all on one person, but it's really a huge process that's going on behind the scenes. And the other part of it, too, the Vikings front office, very analytical. Among the top analytical teams, that's where you want to be if you're a fan. Uh, I don't know if I would say that they are number one in the NFL, but front offices that consistently give you a chance to put very, very good teams on the field, they go in that mix. So, yeah, I'd say top 10 is where you would put the the Vikings front office. Yeah, and I think in most cases, fair or not, GMs and coaches are defined by what quarterbacks they have. And if you just looked at the track record of quarterbacks they've had and what they've done, you wouldn't think they would have lasted as long as they have. And so you can either say that's an indictment on the front office that they haven't gotten the quarterback, or you can look at all the other pieces that they've elevated to kind of better themselves despite average quarterback play. And I think you can't deny the the guys that they've found, even with high draft picks like Harrison Smith or Adam Thielen and lower draft picks, Stefan Diggs was a later round pick. So I think you can either look at a glass half full or empty with the quarterback uh, scenario. And I, I think I'd look at it as even though they haven't found that guy, they've been consistently in the playoffs where other teams who have had who are that consistent in the playoffs usually have someone at quarterback that's been there for a really long time. And the fact that the Vikings haven't had that have shown that the front office, the coaching staff can get a a lot out of the players. Yeah. The quarterback Um, situation is interesting because if you look at all the quarterbacks uh, who played for all, like take, take all the team quarterback ratings. I mean, over the last five or six years, and the Vikings are up there in the top 10, despite the fact that they had Teddy as a rookie and then Teddy gets hurt. And then they have Sam Bradford, then Case Keenum, then Kirk Cousins. They've had a, a merry-go-round, but they've continually found 
quarterbacks who have given them good performances. Teddy Bridgewater in 2015 gets them to 11 wins, wins some big games for them. And Sam Bradford put together a very good season. That was somebody that they just had to trade for. And then, uh, you know, you, Case Keenum is a great ad, of course, uh, gets them to the NFC Championship. And then even with Kirk Cousins, the move that will be debated for the rest of time of whether they should have signed him. But if you look at what they did last year and how Cousins performed last year, it's really hard to say. Now, you can still go back to that moment. And, and I was not on board with the signing at the moment. And you can still say, well, what if you did X, Y, and Z? You know, Teddy Bridgewater's knee did turn out to be okay. Lamar Jackson was on the board. Maybe you could have drafted him. Maybe Alex Smith is here and wins a lot of games if you traded for him. There were other options. But if you look at the performance from Cousins last year, I think he was PFF's sixth best quarterback. It's really hard to say, no, man, you botched that one. What were you thinking uh, based on the performances Cousins has given them? So the fact that they have not had a Patrick Mahomes that they just drafted and he, the guy was perfect right away and still found a way to get overall good performances speaks to the strength of the roster. Yeah, I definitely agree. And moving on to our fifth and final hot route. Um, as of this taping, Dalvin Cook still doesn't have a contract. Zimmer's contract is rolled in. Spielman's contract is now official. We're still waiting on Cook. I think we expect that to happen. But I feel like at this point, every year, there's guys throughout the league, and we've had Vikings throughout the league that are, you know, just not happy with, with their contract situation. So I want to know at this point next year, who are we going to be looking at as who could be in a contract dispute, who throughout the season we're going to start writing about, you know, they they might be in line for a new contract through all off season. We're looking at maybe a new deal for them. Who are those people? Yeah, it's a, a great question because there are a few that could be possibilities. I mean, one is uh, Brian O'Neill is going to be going into the last year of his contract. He's drafted in, in 2018, so that would make 2022 the last year, which means he would want to get an extension 2021 if I'm doing the math right here. But I don't know. I, I almost feel like with Brian O'Neill after this year, if he plays how I think he's going to play, it won't be much of a debate. If you have a tackle who is that good, you sign that tackle and you keep him for as long as you can. The guy that is interesting here is someone who makes zero noise ever, and it's Harrison Smith. Next year, the Vikings could cut Harrison Smith with zero cap penalty, which gives them all of the leverage to rework a deal. You've got his age kind of mixed into this, wondering how is he going to play overall this year? Is he going to start showing the signs of aging? Will he still be an elite player like he was last year, a top three or four safety in the NFL last season? Um, or if there's any drop-off, then does it get ugly? Because you know, would they consider letting him go? Would he want a long-term contract extension so he has guarantees and he has some certainty for where he's going to be for the next few years? I think that's a possibility. Also, Daniil Hunter, at some point, Daniil Hunter's agent is going to say, my contract is terrible and I am not going to play unless you rework this contract. Um, now, We've gone through it with Delvin Cook about the holdout and how Delvin Cook can't really hold out. But if you're in a position like Daniil Hunter and you've made that much money and you have that much leverage, you could. You could hold out and be like, yeah, okay, find me. That's no problem. I want a new contract because this one is nowhere close to market level. And if he gets 15 sacks again this year, they're going to have to rework that deal. So you know, the, those are guys that have worked out contracts pretty easily in the past, but there is that possibility that it could get a little dicey, especially with the salary cap set to go down. Yeah, Daniil was my number one, even though he's still got, I think, three more years after this one, right around 12 mil per year, I believe. That's, that's, yeah, tear that's a it lot up. of money, but, that, but tear you, it up, you can though. tear I mean, that you're thing him, up. Tear it up. The top guys are making 20, and you're making 12, tear it up. And I, I think the Vikings would be pretty pretty receptive to that. They did that with Adam Thielen after his – after he shot up, even after his deal. So you, I don't see a scenario where they let Daniil Hunter walk anywhere um, sooner than when this contract would be up, and I would assume farther along than that. They're, I, I think they'll just kind of do what he, wants to, what he wants to do. And so I would say after this year, you can expect that. And then obviously we'll see how the Anthony Harris situa situation works out. He's going to play on the franchise tag. Yeah. He's obviously going to be in line for another one. And then if they release Harrison Smith, that probably – ups Harris's leverage because going into next season with two new safeties is after a whole cornerback reshuffle just doesn't seem like what they want to spend two years doing so 
I would say that's another name that we've obviously spent a lot of time on this offseason, and I would presume we will do that again next offseason. Yeah. Yeah, if Harrison plays the same as he played last year, you're probably looking at Anthony Harris hitting the free agent market and saying goodbye to him. But if Harrison Smith has injuries or he falls off in his play, shows the signs of aging, maybe you do look at Anthony Harris and say it might be better to spend that money there. I doubt that in 2021, with a lowered salary cap, they're spending over $20 million at the safety position again. Very, very good questions, Paul. You're really getting the hand of hot routes. Those were those were toasty. They weren't blazing yet. They were toasty. That's why you're an intern. You're still getting there. So, uh, Paul, great stuff. Very good hot routes. And we will catch you next time here on Purple Insider. All right. Thanks, Matt.